This morning I may preach to you about what we confess about God's word regarding the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and what it is to be a Christian, and that ties in well with also the public profession of faith of Caleb here this morning. Lord's Day 12 on page 527 of the Book of Praise. There we have the following two questions and answers. Why is he called Christ that is anointed? Because he has been ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. Our only high priest who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and who continually intercedes for us before the Father, and our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit, and who defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. Why are you called a Christian? Because I am a member of Christ by faith, and thus share in his anointing, so that I may, as prophet, confess his name, as priest, present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and as king, fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and hereafter reign with him eternally over all creatures. Thus far. After the sermon, let us sing from Psalm 116, the stanzas 5, 7, and 9. 116, 5, 7, and 9. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, in Lord's Day 12, we state our conviction about two things. The first is about our Savior. And the other is about ourselves. Concerning the Lord Jesus, we declare that he is the Christ. And about ourselves, we say that we are Christians. Now, obviously, we need to understand the close connection that exists between Christ and us because it is impossible for us to be a Christian and not be able to confess the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior to confess what he has done for us and continues to do for us. And so the connection is that we share in Christ's gifts and his anointing. And his anointing forms the backbone, if I can say it that way, his anointing forms the backbone of our being Christians, both in word and in deed. Now, when we hear about anointing, we usually think of how in the Bible anointing applies to someone who has been called to a specific task. And it always has to do with the specific office laid upon us by God. And so in the Old Testament, especially, read anointing with oil was a ceremony whereby priests and even kings and prophets were ordained in their offices. While Christ Jesus was ordained by God for his task, a savior of the world also. And this happened in a unique way. He was not anointed in a special ceremony 
with invited guests, nor was he anointed with oil. No, he was anointed directly with and by the Holy Spirit himself. And that happened when Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan and the Spirit descended upon him in bodily form as of a dove, while a voice spoke from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And thus, in the presence of all who were there at that moment, the Spirit anointed and equipped the Lord Jesus for his task. And from that moment on, he was filled with the Spirit. And one of the first things Jesus did was go to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and he began teaching in the synagogues. And then one day in the synagogue in Nazareth, he read from the prophecy of Isaiah 61 these words, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And then when he closed that book or the scroll, Jesus said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So then one of the very first things Jesus did was prophesy about God and his word. And you will understand that this is the main reason why we call Christ Jesus our chief prophet and teacher. He came to declare the mighty deeds of God. But as church, we do not stop at that one office. We go on to say that the Lord Jesus was also ordained and anointed to be our only high priest and our eternal king. And so I bring to you God's word as the church confesses how Christ was ordained to be prophet, priest, and king. And we are going to look at two things. The first is why the Lord Jesus Christ received these three offices, that threefold office. And in the second place, how this office equips us as Christians. So then, Christ Jesus was ordained to be prophet, priest, and king. Why he received that threefold office and how that office also equips us as Christians. Now, have you ever considered or stopped to consider why we speak of these three offices, these three specific tasks of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why we speak about him as being our prophet, priest, and king? Well, we do so as we state in Lord's Day 11, because the Lord Jesus is our complete Savior. Emphasis here is on that word complete. Nothing in his work of freeing us from the power of sin was left untouched. And therefore everything needed to be restored by him. And he was busy doing that. And that threefold office of our Savior covers the same office that our first parents had when they were still in paradise. From the outset, God created us to be prophets, priests, and kings. How do we know that? Well, we see that clearly if we look ahead for a moment to the second part of this Lord's Day, where we read about those threefold offices in question and answer 32. There we read that we have that office so that as prophet we may confess his name, as priests present themselves a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and as king fight with the free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life. 
Now, we must realize, my brothers and sisters, that this threefold office was that we have as Christians was already the office that God had given to Adam and Eve in paradise. For isn't it true that Adam and Eve also had the duty to confess God's name and to speak with each other and with their children about God? Of course, just as you and I must teach and speak with our children about God, Adam and Eve would have to do the same thing and declare God's love and greatness to their children. And you see, that is the prophetic task that God gave right from the beginning. And isn't it true that Adam and Eve also had the task of praising God by presenting themselves as living sacrifices of thankfulness to God? Of course. They had every reason to praise God for his friendship and so live in thankfulness before him. And therefore we have the priestly task of God given that he gave us right from the beginning. And isn't it true that Adam and Eve in paradise received dominion over all creatures? And therefore we discover that kingly task that God gave us right from the beginning. So very simply then, from the very beginning, God made us to be prophets, priests, and kings. But what has happened What happened to it? What has become of it? Do we speak about God and bless his name and his works? Do we rule his creation wisely? Are we diligent in our calling? And sadly, to all these things, we must say no. Oh, sure, at times we speak about God, but we also forget him every so often by not giving him a prominent place in our lives. Oh, sure, we bless his name, but sometimes we also curse it. We use creation, but all too often in the form of exploitation without giving thanks. And ask yourself, what is it like to rule? Most of the time, our brothers and sisters, we are the ones who are being ruled. We are being ruled by our passions. Some, some are slaves to materialism. Others are enslaved to drinking, gambling, or sex. You see, without Christ in our lives, we are all enslaved to sin. And that is why someone had to come between God and us. Someone who seeks our good and that of God. We need someone who is in charge and in control and who reveals to us God's will for our lives and who makes it possible for us to do God's will again. And that someone is the Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed of God, ordained and appointed for just that specific task. Now, in God's gift of his son, we have proof of the father's love for us, and we have proof that he has not given up on us. For you see, God did not break or cut the bond that we broke. No, he renewed it by binding himself to us in Christ Jesus. And that is why this confession is such an essential part of our Christian faith. It shows us God's love in giving his son as his anointed one who will restore us and restore to us and equip us for the threefold office of prophets, priests.
priests and kings. And now of these three prophetic offices, sorry, of these three, the prophetic office is in the forefront during the early years, the first years of Christ's ministry. And he did not waste time to proclaim the good news of salvation. As we just read together in Luke 4. He explained scripture as he taught it in the synagogues. And so step by step, he revealed the secret counsel and will of God concerning redemption of lost sinners. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise long ago spoken by Moses in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, it reads, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. Yes, God promised that in generations to come, he would raise up a prophet like Moses. And just think about it. Of all the prophets who came after Moses, no one ever came close to having that one-on-one relationship with God as Moses had. None, that is, until Christ came. And the ultimate prophet, like Moses, is that Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who surpasses Moses in every way. And so we say that Christ Jesus is our most important prophet and teacher. And reading and listening to his words is like hearing God speak directly to us. Isn't it? Well, just think about it. While all the Old Testament prophets would only say, this is what the Lord God says... The Lord Jesus over and over said, I say to you. You see, he spoke with authority. And he taught with authority. God the Father had equipped him with special knowledge and wisdom. His prophetic words were not occasional spurts of inspiration. Like that of the other prophets. Now his prophetic words were words that came from a complete oneness with his Father through the Holy Spirit. And therefore he could say, I say to you. And every time he spoke, he revealed a little more of that secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. And now we can understand why in the Gospel according to John, Christ is referred to as the Word with a capital W. You see, Christ is the Word because God the Father spoke directly through him. You read that in John 1. But Christ is also the Word with respect to us because he is the person who spoke to the fathers of old and who brought forth the living Word from the bosom of the Father. And this makes it clear that if there is anyone who is qualified, to fully reveal the secret counsel and will of God, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. He and the Father are one. So then, indeed, who is better equipped to reveal to us God's decree from eternity concerning your and my salvation? Can you think of anyone better qualified than our chief prophet and teacher who is the Word, 
and who is the Son of God, who was with God from the beginning, and who was with God, with God from the beginning involved in the design of our redemption. He has fully revealed to us everything we need to know concerning our salvation. And that is why the Lord Jesus Christ remains our chief prophet and teacher, even today. For you see, he gave us the written word through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he comes to us in that word, unveiling more and more the secret counsel of God's will every time we read and study that word. He comes to us when we hear from week to week the preaching of redemption in Jesus Christ alone. And you see, that alone should be reason enough why we should not neglect to attend the worship services. For you see, if we were to neglect the worship services, if we neglect to come and be instructed from the scriptures, well, then we fail to acknowledge Christ in his prophetic office. Then we fail to acknowledge him as our chief prophet and teacher. For you see, faithful participation in the worship service is a dire necessity for all of us. For how can Christ be our chief prophet and teacher if he were to decide to stay away? Now, another revelation of God's secret counsel and will is that Christ is also our high priest. And he's not an ordinary priest, but a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek was a priest about whose origins we know very little. But what we do know for certain is that Melchizedek had a special calling as priest from God. And the same holds true, my brothers and sisters, for the Lord Jesus Christ. He had his calling directly from God and carried out his calling in complete love, in complete obedience and dedication to God. You see, Christ's dedication was so complete that the Father would accept his Son's life as a ransom for many. And Christ's love and dedication were so great that he would drink the cup to the bitter end, and so do the will of his Father. He said, not my will, but your will be done. And in that way, Christ Jesus became our only high priest who made full atonement for all sin. Now, these are the things that our Savior did as our only high priests. But the Catechism also stresses that as priest, Christ continually intercedes before, uh, for us before the Father. You see, and that's something we need to pay attention to, Christ's priesthood is more than that he gave his life as a ransom for many Christians. Besides dying on the cross for our sins, his priestly work continues this very day. The work of paying for our sins on the cross is done. But his priestly intercessory work continues right now. Christ Jesus made continual intercession before the Father on your and my behalf. And please do not forget that aspect, my brothers and sisters. It's so important. He laid down his life only once in the past, but he makes intercession before the Father in the present. 
And it is on this score in particular that the uniqueness of Christ's priesthood outshines the priesthood of the Old Testament. For you see, all your and my actions and prayers and thank offerings to God are tainted and they are stained by sin and imperfection. And therefore Christ continually intercedes for us and brings our prayers before the Father. He brings our prayers that are so often self-centered. Our prayers that are so often devoid of gratitude. Well, he brings those self-centered and devoid of gratitude prayers before God's throne of grace. And then he reminds the Father of his unique sacrifice. And for the Son's sake, the Father will hear your and my imperfect prayers and accept our offering of praises and thankfulness. Yes, in Christ Jesus, our only high priest, we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace and so find help and mercy in time of need, it says in Hebrews 4. But there's still more. You see, beside prophet and priest, he is also our eternal king. Now, the idea of something being eternal implies that it is without beginning and without ending. And therefore, we confess here that Christ has always been king and always will be king. Now, you will realize that we can only say that, of course, from the conviction of faith, because Christ is a king who came not to be served, but to serve. Yes, he came to serve. He came as the suffering servant, Isaiah 53 tells us. And that is why Pilate and the Roman soldiers could hardly believe that Jesus was king. The soldiers and the bystanders mocked him. But Christ the king came to serve and he came to drink the cup of his father who punished his son for our desertion from our royal office. And now the good news is that our Savior is no longer the suffering servant. Now he is the king with whom, to whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given. Christ is king of all creation. We sang about that in hymn 3. He is king of the world. And you see, that's good news. For imagine for a moment that Christ was not the king of the world. What would happen to the church? If Christ was not the king of the world, how would he possibly how could he possibly defend and preserve his church from the attacks of the world? But we need not fear. You see, to him has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, and so he rules from Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, to which he will call all his own on the last day. And he defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. Yes, what a comfort it is to know that our eternal king will not let anyone who belongs to him fall away from him. And now please notice how Christ rules. He governs his church by his word and spirit. That means our king is not some kind of a despot who rules with an iron fist like the dictators of the world. 
but rather he is a king who wants to be honored and obeyed by willing subjects. And it is the spirit who prepares us to submission and obedience by means of the word, by means of the proclaimed gospel. And everyone who submits to Christ's kingship as he governs us by his word and spirit will one day bow in perfect obedience before his majesty and cast the crowns of glory before his throne of grace. And you see, all these truths, my brothers and sisters, all these truths about the Lord Jesus Christ lie at the heart of the gospel of salvation. And therefore we know him as the one who restores our broken relationship to God. Through him we have direct access to God the Father. Christ Jesus is our chief prophet who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel of his will concerning our redemption. And the gospel of message is about him. And he at the same time is the heart of the gospel. And therefore if we want to understand our salvation, then we need to look to the Lord Jesus Christ who is our Savior. But he is our Savior as prophet, priest, and king. And so how richly blessed we are to have Jesus as the Christ. I said it already at the beginning. In this Lord's Day, we speak of the close tie that exists between Christ and us. First there is the Christ, and then there are the Christians. His anointing flows over to us, and you and I, we may share in it. Without the mediator, Jesus Christ, we would not have life with God. But in Christ we become again what we originally were destined to be when God created man in his image and likeness of himself. You see, to be a Christian is to live as someone who has been restored to that threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. And that brings us to the second point of the sermon. How these Officers equip us as Christians. Now, first of all, I want to point out once again that the catechism becomes very personal. It asks, why are you called a Christian? And the answer is, because I, and I hope that everyone here can say that, I am a member of Christ by faith and thus share in his anointing. Yes, we consider ourselves to be members of Christ because we believe in him as our Savior. But equally important is the question, my brothers and sisters. Do we pay sufficient attention to the fact that we share in Christ's anointing? You see, believing in Christ as our Savior and sharing in his anointing go hand in hand. To share in Christ's anointing implies that we are anointed with the Holy Spirit, just as the Lord Jesus Christ was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And just as Christ was given that threefold office, you and I are restored to this office. And I am purpose say restored, because as we heard earlier, Adam and Eve once held that threefold office of prophet, priest, and king in paradise. And so believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are restored to God to serve as prophets, priests, and kings. Never forget that. 
Don't ever think that my Christianity is believe in Jesus only. My Christianity is believe in Jesus as my Savior, but then as prophets, priests, and kings. And that is why we call it also the office of all believers. You see, that is not the task only of the minister or the elders or the deacons, the overseers, but that is the task which is placed on the shoulders of you as well as members of Christ. And that brings you to the question, how? How are we members of Christ? Well, we are members of Christ by faith. We become members of Christ when Christ works faith in our hearts by his word and spirit. And the faith that he works in us is a living faith. That means a faith that is active in the three offices. And so our office as prophet is to confess his name. And this means, of course, that we are willing to openly state that Christ is our Savior. That is what Caleb will be doing when he makes public profession of faith. But this is not only something that applies to him only. It also means that by our lifestyle and behavior, we show that we are different and that we can say why we are different from non-Christians. And that is what all of us need to do and all of us need to confess. You see, to declare God's great deeds is uh, and remains our calling as a church. You may have made profession of faith years ago, but you are not free from that confession. That is something that you do every time again. For instance, when we have the Apostles' Creed, we, in a nutshell, restate our confession. And so to declare God's great deeds is and remains our calling as a church of Christ. But in order to confess Christ's name, we must know his revelation. In other words, we can only confess Christ if we know what the Bible tells us about him. And so if we want to be equipped to confess Christ, then we must first learn to listen. Yeah, listen. We must first learn to listen closely to what God tells us in his word. It should be obvious that in order to properly fulfill, therefore, our prophetic office, we cannot do without regularly and personal Bible study and devotion. And you make time available for that, don't you? It is part of our prophetic office, and it also equips us for a task as priests, which is no less demanding. For you see, our task as priests requires a living sacrifice of thankfulness. In other words, not just funneling a few dollars for Christian causes, but a full-blooded way of life where the Christian faith flows through our veins, if I can say it that way. Then our living will become a living in thankfulness for God's daily mercies. And then the Catechism speaks also about presenting ourselves a living sacrifice of thankfulness. And you know, we really get to understand the importance of this requirement if we realize that a thank offering in the Old Testament was tied to 
living in peace with God. The thank offering was brought because peace was restored between God and the people. So your thankfulness should be focused upon the peace that you may have with God. And you see, we have that peace with God through Jesus Christ. His sacrifice was a sin offering, and it was at the same time a thank offering. A sin offering and a thank offering rolled in one. Through Christ, our only high priest, we are at peace with God. And that peace is ours through the forgiveness of our sins. Yes, we so easily speak about forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ as if it is something quite natural, if this is nothing to it. But a lot did happen to bring us the forgiveness of our sins, my brothers and sisters. Never, ever forget that. See, Christ suffered and died for us so that we do not have to suffer the eternal wrath of God. And that is why the Lord God expects from us a sacrifice of thankfulness. Does God's gift of forgiveness and eternal life make us willing to give up everything if the need arises? For you see, that is what the word sacrifice means. The people had to give of the best, not of the leftovers. Does it make us willing to give up all things in thankfulness to Christ for the salvation he has obtained for you? Or we may thank the Lord that he does not often require of us to give up much. But one thing he requires constantly, and that is our prayer. Our priestly function is above all the daily duty to pray. Prayer is the most important part of thankfulness. We state somewhere else in the catechism. Yes, in prayer we draw near before God's throne of grace. And do not forget, a priestly prayer requires that we intercede for others. You see, in prayer we can bring the needs of Christendom before the Father. We can pray for the unity of the faith among fellow believers. We can pray for the sick, for the lonely, for those who are less fortunate. We need to pray for the persecuted church and for mission work. And you see, these are just a few things that I just mentioned, but enough things to remind us that the priestly function is endless and all-inclusive. And finally, there is also the office of king. That office of king has been restored to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm sure that the idea of the fact that we will reign with Christ eternally over all creatures, that that really has great appeal for all of us. Wouldn't it? For who wouldn't want that? To reign with Christ over all things. All of us would want that, I think. But we also like to take the easy way out and conveniently skip the first requirement of that royal office. You see, the kings of the future, that is, the kings who will reign with Christ eternally, must be the fighting kings of today. And the most formidable enemy that we must conquer and subdue is our sinful self. Oh, in our heart is where the decisive battle of life and death is waged. 
And if you live your Christian life truthfully, you notice that it is a pretty exhaustive battle. Something that wears us down because it continues day after day. And so let no one dream of ruling eternally with Christ after this life. If he is not prepared to fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life. You see, the Apostle Paul exhorts us to put on our whole armor of God that we may stand against the wiles of the devil and to fight the good faith. As Christians are followers of Christ. And as Christians, we need to remember that our chief prophet, our only high priest and our eternal king enlists us in his service. And he doesn't do that once in a while. He does it every day. He puts us to work to praise him and to live for him. Now, one of the early church fathers named Augustine, he was a man who often made concise and pointed comments. And about being a Christian, he used to say, and listen how pointed this is, Without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. Right. You see, we can't live without God and his renewal in Christ. But God does not want to leave us out of his plan in and for the world. And that is why he involves us. And in connection with Lord's Day 12, we can take over Augustine saying, Without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. And so you see, my brothers and sisters, that in order to be a Christian, we need to live as prophets, priests, and kings. Christ as our only, or as a chief prophet, and as our only high priest, and as our eternal king, has restored us to that office. And now he enlists us daily in his service. And so when you look at the purpose of life in that light, don't you agree that it is a great privilege and honor to be called a Christian? And so to be co-workers of your Lord and Savior who has won the decisive battle over sin and death? The prospect is glorious. He will maintain us as his co-workers forever. And the outlook is bright and promising. Or we may hereafter reign with him eternally over all creatures. And so with that vision, aren't you glad and thankful you are a Christian? Without God, I cannot. Without me, God will not. And therefore, as Christian, I cannot stay on the sidelines. I'm called to be a Christian that is active in the service of God. And so are you. Amen.